Fourteen, said Mr. Gordon, having counted. And Mr. Curtenty gazed at him in reproach, for that he, a town councillor, had thus mathematically demonstrated the commercial decadence of Bursley. Market overstocked, eh? Mr. Curtenty suggested, throwing a side glance at Callier, the poulterer's close by, which was crammed with everything that flew, swam, or waddled. Call this a market, said the gooseherd. I take my lot over to Hanbridge, where there's a bit doing by all accounts. Now, Mr. Curtenty had not the least intention of buying those geese, but nothing could be better calculated to straighten the back of a Bursley man than a reference to the mercantile activity of Hanbridge, that Chicago of the five towns. How much for the lot? he inquired. In that moment he reflected upon his reputation. He knew that he was a cure, a card, a character. He knew that everyone would think it just like Joss Curtenty, the renowned deputy mayor of Bursley, to stand on the steps of the tiger and pretend to chaffer with a goose herd for a flock of geese. His imagination caught the sound of an oft repeated inquiry Did you hear about old Joss's latest, trying to buy them their geese? and the appreciative laughter that would follow. The goose herd faced him in silence. Well, said Mr. Curtenty again, his eyes twinkling, how much for the lot? The goose herd gloomily and suspiciously named a sum. Mr. Curtenty named a sum startlingly less, ending in sixpence. I'll take it, said the goose herd in a tone that closed on the bargain like a vice. The deputy mayor perceived himself the owner of twelve geese and two ganders, one Brent, one Barnacle. It was a shock. But he sustained it. Involuntarily he looked at Mr. Gordon. How are you going to get em home, Cotenti? asked Gordon, with coarse sarcasm. Drive em? Nettled, Mr. Cotenti retorted, Now then, gasped Gordon. The barmaid laughed aloud at this sobriquet, which that same evening was all over the town, and which has stuck ever since to the chairman of the gas and lighting committee. Mr. Gordon wished, and has never ceased to wish, either that he had been elected to some other committee, or that his name had begun with some other letter. The gooseherd received the purchase money like an affront, but when Mr. Curtenty, full of private mirth, said, Chuck us your stick in. He gave him the stick, and smiled under reservation. Joss Curtenty had no use for the geese. He could conceive no purpose which they might be made to serve, no smallest corner for them in his universe. Nevertheless, since he had rashly stumbled into a ditch, he determined to emerge from it grandly, impressively, magnificently. He instantaneously formed a plan by which he would snatch victory out of defeat. He would take Gordon's suggestion and himself drive the geese up to his residence in Hillport, that lofty and aristocratic suburb. It would be an immense and unparalleled farce, a wonder, a topic for years. The crown of his reputation as a card. He announced his intention with that misleading sobriety and ordinariness of tone which has been the foible of many great humorists to assume. Mr. Gordon lifted his head several times very quickly as if to say, What next? and then actually departed, which was a clear proof that the man had no imagination and no soul. The goose herd winked. You'll be rightly called contenty, mister, said he and passed into the tiger. 
"'That's the best joke I ever heard,' Joss said to himself. "'I wonder whether he saw it.' Then the procession of the geese and the deputy mayor commenced. Now, it is not to be assumed that Mr. Curtenty was necessarily bound to look foolish in the driving of geese. He was no nincompoop. On the contrary, he was one of those men who, bringing common sense and presence of mind to every action of their lives, do nothing badly, and always escape the ridiculous. He marshaled his geese with noble gumption, adopted towards them exactly the correct stress of persuasion, and presently he smiled to see them preceding him in the direction of Hillport. He looked neither to right nor left, but simply at his geese, and thus the quidnuncs of the marketplace and the supporters of shop-fronts were unable to catch his eye. He tried to feel like a goose-herd, and such was his histrionic quality, his instinct for the dramatic, that he was a goose-herd, despite his blue Melton overcoat, his hard-felt hat with the flattened top, and that opulent curving collar which was the secret despair of the young dandies of Hillport. 